Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information, head to calvarystgeorges.org. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills its prophets, the prophets who are sent to it. Now, if you know anything, Isaiah was sought in two there. Jeremiah didn't fare very well. Uh, Jesus, as a prophet, was killed there. Um, and so anyway, but we sent a group of people from Calvary St. George's over there, and we hope that, uh, thank God they're going as pilgrims, and so, but, uh, um, and I will join them tonight. And I'm going to preach on that passage actually tonight at Evensong, because it's a very important one, especially as we uh, continue our Lenten journey. But uh, today, on the second Sunday of uh, Lent, I wanted to speak at the main services on um, uh, Genesis uh, because this is an important passage on faith and what is the meaning of faith and how does faith play out in our lives. In chapter 12 of the book of Genesis, we uh, meet Abram and we are introduced to the story of Abraham. And the story is actually all about the meaning of faith. As it says in our reading, which is very key, and if you want to really understand what Genesis, this particular chapter, Genesis 15, is all about from a Christian perspective, I would encourage you to go home and read Romans chapter 4 and 5. But Abraham and his life articulate the actual meaning of faith. As it says in our reading, and Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. Faith is one of the most misunderstood words in religion today, even amongst Christians. Unfortunately, most people think that faith is kind of our part of the equation. You know, something that we do in order to stimulate God's affection for us. Kind of functions we think of faith as like the Jesus juice that really helps us get over the hump. And that sort of understanding of faith is typically based on what I see and experience. So hence, if things are going well in my life, my faith must be really strong. You know, wow, look at me. God must be really blessing me because of this. Yet if things aren't going well, well, then maybe I don't have enough faith and and God must be distant and disappointed. And so you see here, faith is all based on what I see. And the preachers of the prosperity gospel, which is actually no gospel at all, uh, preach and prey on people's emotions with this sort of hogwash. And it is entirely wrong and completely destructive. The Bible, however, especially as recorded in the life of Abraham, uh, gives us and presents a definition of faith that is completely different, doesn't it? The Bible, and we read this in the life of Abraham, presents faith as a gift, a gift from God that comes about from hearing God. You see, the God of Israel The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God whom we worship, is the God whom we do not see. He is the God that we hear. He is the God who speaks. And in this hearing, God creates faith in our lives. It just occurred to me while we were praying this collect, and I missed it. If you see in the collect, it says, your word at the end, Jesus Christ. Even, Even Jesus is a word. That, is, that, 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 that takes on flesh. The emphasis here in speaking. God creates faith in our lives out of nothing through a word. And what happens is, is that gift of faith enables us to believe what God has said, despite all evidence to the contrary. 
However, because faith runs contrary so often to what you see, faith can be hard. The difficulty of faith is demonstrated in Abraham's life, especially in this scene. You know, we think, you know, you read chapter 12, 13, 14, 15, you're like, oh, this is like two days. No, 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 no. From chapter 12 to chapter 15 is the span of about 20 years or so since Abraham received the promise of offspring. And it's really interesting because in chapter 14, Abraham defeats all of these other warlords. And then the king of Salaam shows up uh, and, uh, and, uh, off, and Abraham offers him bread and wine and gives him a tenth of all of the goods. I mean, this really makes no sense without Jesus. But anyway, you see that God has been working in Abraham's life to bring him to this moment. And he doesn't see it or he doesn't see it even though God's at work. And so he's having trouble believing it. You look at Abraham, and there is nothing in Abraham that was worthy of God to choose. You know, Abraham didn't do anything great. He was a moon worshiper from Ur of the Chaldeans. And like, you know, not once but twice after God had promised him that he'd be the father of many nations, he tries to like trade his wife into powerful men, including the Pharaoh, to save his own neck. I was thinking about that. That must have taken a lot more than a box of chocolates to get out of the doghouse that night. But, uh, I, you know, she's like a third time. Gee, no, but anyway, but uh, Abraham's crazy. But by 14, he is like basically a high-level warlord in this area. You know, he has defeated kings and is paying tribute to the king of Salaam. But yet, what he sees hasn't happened yet. He doesn't see God's promise that he'd be the father of many nations and that the world would be blessed. His wife's still barren and the land is still loaded with the Hittites and the Amorites and the Jebusites and everybody else that ends in ites. They're all there. Everything Abraham saw around him made no sense. Faith was hard. And the truth is, is that there is no way he could have changed any of those circumstances on his own. And the same is true with you. By virtue of the gospel, you have been promised that you are loved by God. Even though what you see is aloneness. By virtue of the gospel, you have been promised that you are favored by God. Even though what you see is hardship. By virtue of the gospel, what you hear is that you have been forgiven by God, even though probably what you see around you is accusation and blame. And this is my first point. Faith can be hard because it is not what you see. Instead, faith is the gift that God produces in us out of nothing Like he did creation, he produces within us out of nothing to believe him when he speaks a promise despite what you see. And that, and that alone is righteousness. Luther said righteousness is nothing more than believing God when he makes a promise. So there's this exchange now between God and Abraham in this moment in our chapter, chapter 15. And Abraham asks God, Oh God, how am I to know that I shall possess the land? And what happens next is extremely unusual to us, but it's called a suzerain covenant. And it was very common in those days amongst tribal leaders and kings in the Middle East. 
In this covenant, what would happen is, is that a number of animals would be cut in two. And the greater king would do the cutting. Boom. And then they'd separate the animals out. And then the lesser king would walk through the animals. Would walk through the animals. This is a contractual agreement conditioned upon obedience. Meaning, if this covenant is broken in any way, the greater king would do to the lesser king what happened to these animals. Namely, cut you down. And that's what the children are learning in Sunday school right now. We have a wonderful felt board lesson. But anyway, um, <laughs> anyway but, um, but our reading tells us who walked through those animals, doesn't it? And it was not Abraham. Rather, Abraham fell into a deep, deep sleep. He did nothing. And the part, sadly, that's cut out of our lectionary reading is where God promises him the land in 400 years. And you're going to have all of this land. It's going to be 400 years, but you will have it. But Abraham did nothing. It was God himself symbolized by a smoking fire pot or a refiner's fire and a flaming torch, which represents the light of God that passed through those pieces of animal. And when it comes to faith, when it comes to faith in God, which is credited to us as righteousness, hear me now and hear me clearly. It is never about partnership. You actually get in the way of being made righteous. And why I see it all in my life, all the time. I want to take things into my own hands. I want to take control because what I see doesn't make sense. And you see this in the next chapter in the life of Abraham as he takes on uh, Sarai's uh, handmaiden, Hagar. And they try and institute once again the covenant themselves. Faith that makes us righteousness demonstrated in this Abrahamic covenant, what it says is, take a nap. Sleep. Faith which leads to righteousness, as we say in New York, says, get out of the way. And this is my second point, and it's an important point for the season of Lent. Where we want to, especially where we want to step in and do something for God, Any relationship with God that leads to righteousness, righteousness before God, will be one-sided. It will be all God to you. God alone passed between the pieces of the animals. Abraham was not allowed to participate. In short, God confirmed the covenant with Abraham while Abram did nothing. I want to go back to this exchange with God for a moment because I appreciate the earthiness of it. Abram asks, he goes, Oh Lord God, how am I to know I shall possess it? You can hear the struggle in his voice. And you can relate to it. I mean, how often have you ever heard, how will I, or you ever said, how do I know God loves me? How do I know that God has forgiven me? How do I know that God has ratified his covenant with us? And that's very important. Because in ratifying the covenant with us, he fulfills the covenant of Abraham. So how do we know that this has all happened? 
Well, literally, a total of 25 years pass between Abram's first call in the Chaldeans from God and the birth of the child promised, which was Isaac. And eventually, after 400 years, Abraham's descendants, after spending 400 years in Egypt, would come up out of there, would come up out of there and take the land. However, thanks be to God that Abraham was asleep. Because as one reads the history of Abraham's family, as one reads the history of Israel, and I'm sure you're hearing it in this year of the Bible, it is a story of a lot of mistakes. It is a story of a lot of conflicts. It is a story of a lot of breaking of the covenant. However, what this all illustrates, all of this, beginning with Abraham's life and arching through the entire Jewish scriptures, is that God knows this. And God knows us. And despite our unfaithfulness to him, God is always faithful to us. And it is faith to hear and believe that God is faithful, despite your unfaithfulness, which credits you as righteous. You see, in the fullness of time, God would condescend and incarnate himself in Abraham's descendant, Jesus, who, although was tempted in every way as we are, yet was without sin. He was perfect. Yet he became sin on the cross, a.k.a. he was cut in two in order that we might be made the righteousness of God. And this is the Christian position on Jesus, and there's no compromise on this. He is both God and man at the same time. For as the representative of humankind, the lesser king, he gives to God what is demanded from us, perfection. Or as in Abraham's case, for our sake, he passes through the animals. And as God, he gives to humankind what is needed for us to stand before a holy and righteous God, namely the greater king, a righteousness apart from ourselves. As if you have never, ever broken the covenant so that as St. Paul writes in Romans chapter 4, we're not working for righteousness anymore. Stop working. Get out of the way. It'll be a wage, and the wages of sin are death. Rather, instead, those who believe in him, Jesus, the lesser king, but by virtue of his death and resurrection from the dead, is now the greater king who justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted to us as gift. And his faith is counted to you as righteousness. And this is my third point. How do you know that God loves you? How do you know that God has forgiven you? How do you know that you are righteous? Do not ever look to yourself, but look to the cross. That is where your righteousness is found. For in Jesus, Abraham's covenant has been ratified and it is now an everlasting reality because through the faithfulness of Abraham's offspring, Jesus, God now lavishes upon the world, God now lavishes upon you and I all of his truth, all of his grace, all of his mercy. And as we gather around this altar and taste 
and know that the Lord is good. Once again, assuring you of his goodness and faithfulness to you, not in fireworks, but in bread and wine? Remember, despite what you feel, despite what the world is telling you, in those means, the bread that is his body, the wine that is his blood, in that Jesus is, God, Jesus is saying God is for you. In that all of your trespasses are as far removed from the east to the west. For Jesus was handed over for you and was raised for our trustification. And when that promise is heard, it creates out of nothing every day faith that connects us to his great sacrifice and enables us to cling to the cross and never, ever let go. And that promise, which Abraham received in a shadow, has come into clear perspective on the cross and ratified for you in God's own blood, making Abraham not only your father, but more importantly, God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, also your Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of the parish, you can make an online donation at calvarystgeorges.org slash giving. Thank you.